Hi, this is Jim Labedo, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. On our program today is Cameron Harold. For over 20 years, Cameron Harold has been coaching, speaking, and mentoring entrepreneurs on five continents build their companies. He started Back Pocket CEO to help coach and mentor young entrepreneurs and make their dreams come true. Cameron Harold is one of the country's most innovative business leaders and was a leading force behind the most successful new business venture in the last decade, 1-800-GOT-JUNK. He was the chief operating officer for that company for nearly seven years. His innovative business leadership helped enable the company build a presence in 46 states, nine provinces, and four countries, while being ranked the second best company to work for in Canada by the Canadian Business Magazine. We're talking to Cameron about his book, Double Double, How to Double Your Revenue and Profit in Three Years or Less. Cameron, welcome to the program. Jim, thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. Cameron, in preparing for our interview today, you know, I find out that you started your first business when you were 20 years old. You know, most of us in our 20s are still trying to figure out, you know, who we are and where we're going in life. And here you are, you know, starting a business at a young age. So let's start with that. You know, how were you able to start a business in your 20s? Sure. Um, I was actually groomed as an entrepreneur. Uh, both of my grandfathers were entrepreneurs and built their own companies. My father was an entrepreneur and, and built his own company, a number of them. And actually, my brother and sister and I, all three of us, have all founded and run our own companies today as well. So when we were growing up in school, everything we ever heard around the dinner table or from our parents or grandparents was that jobs are really kind of bad deals. And running your own company was really the way to go. So we were groomed at a very young age to be doing these little entrepreneurial ventures. I probably had 12 or 13 different little entrepreneurial ventures by the time I graduated high school. So owning my own company in university was really kind of an easy thing to do. We had lots of free time in university. Everybody else was um, partying and going to classes. I decided to go to the best parties and go to the best classes and skip everything in between. And that way I was able to run a company. So I was groomed as an entrepreneur. So Cameron, it probably addresses the first issue that people have getting into business, and that's the fear of it. Obviously, in the environment you're in, there was no fear. No, absolutely. In fact, I did a TED Talk. I don't know if it, probably a lot of your, your listeners are familiar with TED.com. I did a talk that's on TED.com. It's had well over a million views about raising kids to be entrepreneurs instead of lawyers. And I talk about the fact that you can identify entrepreneurial traits in children. And the problem right now in the education system and the medical community is they're looking at these kids that have these entrepreneurial traits. Typical entrepreneur traits are ADD, so attention deficit disorder, and bipolar, manic depression. A third trait of entrepreneurs is actually the Tourette syndrome of thinking out loud. So not necessarily the swearing, but on the spectrum is the thinking out loud. So what happens in the school system is, is we get told to sit still and pay attention and don't blurt out our answers. And, you know, why are, we, why are we collaborating with all the other kids and stop selling stuff to everybody? And the reality is we're just entrepreneurs. So when, when my parents and grandparents saw these traits in us at a young age, they were able to nurture those, whereas the rest of society was telling us that there was something wrong and would want to medicate us. We were actually nurtured along and helped. So it just became a very natural path for us. So then the, the idea of, of risk, was something that we were taught at a very young age, that entrepreneurs 
owning your own business is not a risk at all. It's very calculated. We can do the math. We can see the market. We understand the need. We understand, you know, the P&L and what our costs associated margins are. The risk, I think, is is actually having a job and working for a company and, and putting everything in there and then getting fired when you're 55. That kind of sucks. So we were shown all kinds of risk, not just the risk of, of running a business. We were shown that running a business is actually very calculated. Thanks for listening in on the conversation. This is your BizTalk host, Jim Lovato. And before the break, we talked to Cameron about how some entrepreneurs have the classic symptoms of ADD and Tourette's and bipolar. So I asked Cameron, does he have any of those symptoms? I have all of them. Um, I have 17 of the 18 signs of attention deficit disorder diagnosed. In fact, my wife has said that if I was paying attention during the tests, I would have said yes to the 18th um, question as well. She's probably right. Um, Bipolar, I'm absolutely manic depressive. I'm not medicated. I'm not as far out on the spectrum as you need to be, but I have massive mood swings of very, very high energy and very excitable moments where people will literally follow me to do anything, which is what you need as an entrepreneur, people people to follow your ideas and inspiration. And then the signs of depression and stress are, are, you know, those days when you just don't want to go into work and you're tired and you're burned out. But, you know, two hours later, you think you're going to take over the world again. Um, actually, manic depression or bipolar disorder is nicknamed by the medical community as the CEO disease. And I actually talk about that in my book as well on the, the chapter of the roller coaster transitions of entrepreneurs. Cameron, that's interesting because I think there's some people in our audience that can relate to that. So what have you done to take and channel the energy that those gifts bring? Sure. So if you sit around with a group of entrepreneurs, and that's what I do. I coach and speak to groups of entrepreneurs all over the world. I've done speaking events in 28 countries now with CEOs. So when I work with all these CEOs, you begin to realize that they all have the signs. They all have the traits. They just don't really want to talk about it publicly because as kids, we were told that there was something wrong with us. Only as adults, maybe inside of a, of a forum, do you realize that, geez, it's actually a normal trait. So I'll give you some examples. With, with attention deficit disorder, the fact that you can't pay attention to the details or you're very, very distracted by everything is a really good sign for a CEO or entrepreneur. The good thing is that because you can't hyper-focus for long, long periods of time, you end up delegating those projects that need the attention to people who can. So you end up doing things and passing it off, doing things and passing it off, which is essentially delegation and getting a lot of other people to do stuff for you. Um, another aspect of the ADD is being hyper-aware of everything around you. Well, that's great because you're now very, very aware of what your customers are thinking and saying and the market is doing and the economy and your employees and the culture in your business. And you're very, very aware of all of those surroundings at all times. But you don't need to hyper-focus on it unless it's necessary. So I actually say that I have HDADD, which is high-definition attention deficit disorder. You know, I can't focus, but when I do, it's crystal clear. So those are some of the ideas around ADD. On the bipolar side, the manic depression, the mania is what gets people to follow us. You know, it's that uninformed optimism, that exuberance, that, that real energy. It's kind of when Steve Jobs would walk out on stage and people would hinge on every word. He would, he would literally get himself riled up to go out on stage and hit that manic moment so people would follow everything he said. By the way, um, Bill jo- or Steve Jobs, uh, Richard Branson, Ted Turner, Bill Gross, two of the founders of Netscape, bipolar, 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 all clinically diagnosed. The stress and depression, when the medical community looks at it, they go, wow, you have a problem, you're really sad. What they don't realize is the day before we were really up. The sad part or the depressing, stressful part for us is literally just like plugging your iPhone in at night. You know, nobody gets worried about plugging their iPhone in, but unfortunately CEOs and entrepreneurs have not normally learned that it's okay to plug themselves in. So they feel bad 
about taking the time off. They feel bad about the downtime when actually that's just the actual polar opposite of the high energy that we need at times as well. So as soon as you learn that it's okay to be down, it's okay to be stressed, it's okay, that's really just the time to plug yourself back in. It's a very, very liberating moment for the CEO to grow. Yes, I call it that quiet moment where you just take a quiet moment in the day and just contemplate and do nothing. Like leave your darn iPhone in the car and go play golf for five hours like our grandparents did. You know, go and take vacation with your kids and don't read any business books, just go swimming. You don't use your phone when you're, when you're recharging it at night. You need to recharge yourselves as well. Right. Cameron, you've hit upon one of the keys of growing a business, and that is for a leader to give up control and delegate. While our listeners may agree with this in principle, getting them to put that into practice is another thing. You know, most leaders have what I call this rugged individualism trait, which is where they say to themselves, no one can do this better than me, no one can do it faster than me, no one's more effective at it than me, so I'll just go do it myself. So this trait is very hard to give up. So share with our audience the trigger an event that happened to you where you learned it is better to delegate. Well, there was actually two lessons that, that um, really sunk in for me. One was when I was 16 years old, and my father was kind of preparing me to go off to university and get ready to be running my first company, first real business. And he said, you'll never be smart enough to figure this out on your own. He said, remember that your R&D should stand for rip off and duplicate. He said, millions of companies have already figured out any problem or any opportunity that you might be thinking of. Just figure out who did it and do what they did. That was the first step, was rather than sitting down and trying to figure everything out, just go figure out who's, just look for who's figured it out and do what they did. It's going to get you to the solution a lot faster or certainly get you most of the way, which is far enough as an entrepreneurial company needs. We're not doing brain surgery here. We don't need perfection. The second part of it was um, just, again, as, as having roles as, as a child, was learning that having that hourly job, doing everything myself didn't make any sense. If I could have 12 people each of them making me a little bit of gross margin, then if I could get to 24 or 36 or 400, all of that little bit of gross margin was better. So it was, it was far more profitable to find great people who were, who were motivated and strong leaders and good goal-oriented people and inspire them and support them and allow them to help grow my, eventually grow my business. So it's, it's a little bit of the, um, it's very opportunistic, but it's also just smart. You know, I think a lot of us were cursed with that, that Protestant work ethic of work hard. You know, our grandparents work hard. Well, the reality is it's not, not really about work hard. It's more about work smart. That if you actually think about what's the fastest way to make this money and to be efficient and to get all this stuff done, it's never to do it all yourself. Cameron, just listening to you, I get the impression that you're a true entrepreneur, meaning do you really see business opportunities just as opportunities? Yeah, I do. And I see business as business, business as opportunities. I also see huge opportunities for those people that are the technicians that do want to get off and build a business around that. The opportunity, though, is for them to lean out into the future a few years and decide what do they want their business to look and feel like. You know, whether you're running a $5 million or a $50 million or a $500 million company. You know, I coach a CEO right now that's running a half a billion dollar company, and I've worked with him for four years since he was at $140 million. We lean out into the future three years out, and we look at what the company is going to look and feel like in all aspects of the vision. And then we figure out how do we make that happen. You know, too many, too often entrepreneurs and CEOs just try to add to what we've got, make what we have a little bit bigger. It's kind of like taking a, a, a ball of elastic bands and just continuing to add elastic bands to it. And all of a sudden you go, oh, I've got a big ball of elastic bands. 
that may not be what you wanted to build. So these people who are running a mechanic shop that, that you know, used to be a mechanic need to decide, do they want to be chained to the desk every day or do they want to build a business that gives them a life? You know, the CEO of a company, do they want to have multiple businesses or just one? Do they want to hyper-focus or, you know, diversify? So I like trying to get the CEOs to lean out into the future, look around, almost like they go into a time machine three years from now, and look at what they see, write down what they see, and bring it back to today and get the team to figure out how to make that happen. In your book, I believe you call that vision. Is that correct? Yeah. It's a, we call it the painted picture. And it's a concept I learned from an Olympic coach who worked with high-performance athletes. He would get them to visualize themselves so they could feel themselves and see themselves performing the event. And he said if they could literally see themselves and feel themselves in the moment of doing the high jump or doing the gymnast routine or skiing the downhill course, that when they were in the moment of performing that, they would be acting completely on instinct. So the analogy is that a CEO typically can get a very good vision of their mind of what the entire company looks and feels like three years from now. You know, what's operations look like? What's marketing look like? What's sales look like? What are the customers saying three years from now? What's the market and the media saying about your company three years from now? So if you have a lot of clarity of what the future looks like, you can bring that back to today and get your team to draw the plans. You know, almost like a contractor would get the vision from the homeowners to what the finished home would look like, and then they would create blueprints to, cre- to make that finished vision happen. They would give the blueprints to the workers. The workers would recreate the homeowner's vision without ever having to talk to the homeowner. That's the concept of this vision or this painted picture. Very different from what most CEOs do, which is just a, you know, a mission statement or a vision statement. And, you know, we all know those are kind of crap, right? You get 12 employees in a room and you say, what are the most inspiring words? Everybody picks a bunch of words and you put them up on a whiteboard and you vote on them and then you take the best six or seven words and you mash them up into a sentence and that's supposed to align people. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't even align the CEO. Two guests we've had on the program that even talks about vision And even in your book, you start out with vision. You know, vision is very important, and yet a lot of company leaders seem to miss that point. Why is that? I think a lot of it comes down to our educational system, that as as we we were taught in this rote learning program of show up, here's the stuff, work through this, go to the end. No one ever said, where do you really want to go and work towards that? You know, even in our lives, most people don't have visions for where they want to grow their family or where they want to take their personal lives. They just wake up every day doing kind of the same thing, and they end up at 70 or 80, and they go, oh, shit. You know, instead of deciding, like, where do you want your life to go? Where do you want your family to go? Where do you want your your business to go? And then working it backwards. I guess for me, I was always taught that way by by my parents was dream great dreams and then make them come true. Like one of my former employees, his brother is Elon Musk, who started PayPal and and now owns Tesla and SpaceX. So I was a reference for Elon before he did his very first round of fundraising back in 1995. Elon had the capacity to dream dreams bigger than anyone I've ever met and had the ability to attract money and people to figure out how to make it happen. He had no idea, and it would admit that today, has no idea how to build his company, but he has the ability to dream something big and then get the people who can figure out how to reverse engineer that dream. I think as entrepreneurs and CEOs, we end up going to these business schools and MBA programs, and we learn from professors who have never run a company in their lives. They've never built anything. They've never started anything. They're just teaching concepts. So I think the people who have dreamed and then have recreated those dreams are the ones that we can actually learn from. And those tend to be the kind of actors and the, the construction people and the, you know, the artists, um, but we, we kind of shrug them off as being too different. 
Is it a matter of giving yourself permission to dream? I think so. Yeah. One of the things I try to get the CEOs to do is go away from their office. Go and sit somewhere where they're inspired by nature. No laptop, no iPad, just a, a notepad and a pen. And turn the notepad in landscape mode so it's sideways. And do a mind map describing the future of your business in vivid detail. Don't worry about how you're going to make it happen. You know, that's why I don't want them sitting in their boardroom because that's where they always figure out how. I want them to go sit by a lake or go sit in the mountains or go to a beach or lie in a hammock and just spend a half a day thinking about their company three years from now and just allow themselves to dream and not worry about how. You know, as a homeowner, when I built my house a few years ago, I didn't care how they made it happen. I just wanted it to be on budget, to look exactly like what I wanted it to look like from all the pictures and sketches and drawings I gave the contractor. And I wanted it to be, to, you know, to be completed within a certain period of time. The contractor took all my drawings and sketches and, and pictures out of magazines, and he drew blueprints, and he said, this is what we're going to build. I'm like, perfect. And then when I came back, it was starting to happen, but the workers never had to talk to me. So you need to be able to dream and then give the parameters for the dream to happen. You know, I don't want to give up more equity. I don't want to take on too much debt. I don't want to work 80 hours a week. I don't want to, I don't want to kill the culture, blah, blah, blah. Whatever you decide your parameters are, the vision has to be created within those parameters. And then you hire great people and you support them in making that stuff happen. I was asked by Fortune magazine eight years ago, how do I hold people accountable? So I don't hold people accountable. I hire motivated people. I inspire them by the future of where we're going, and I support them in their jobs. Thanks for listening in on the conversation. Our guest is Cameron Harold, author of the book Double Double, How to Double Your Revenue and Profit in Three Years or Less. Conversation with Cameron on the importance of the leader having a very clear vision. Cameron, I'm sure you've run across these people who have great vision, but it stops there. So for our leaders who have this great vision, how do you make the connection between a great vision and the doing, which is the executing part on that vision? Perfect. I always say vision without execution is hallucination, right? To have this great vision or a vision board or a painted picture, you can't just sit it on your desk and say, okay, now it's done. What you need to do then, the second step is getting the right people, as Jim Collins would say, get the right people on the bus, the wrong people off the bus, and everybody in the right seats. The, the big problem I have with Good to Great is it didn't tell us how to do it. So, great, thanks for the theory, but how do we get the right people into our company? How do we get rid of the wrong people? But that's really exactly the second step. Get the right people into your company. Put the proper interviewing systems in place to get the right culture and skill set of all the people. Build a true A-level team. Most of the CEOs who are listening think they have an A-level team, and I'll tell you, within 15 minutes, I could show them they have a C-level, not even a B-level team. Because most A-level players are not on Craigslist or Monster or industry job boards looking for jobs, and most companies don't think about the behavioral traits they're looking for or use the processes from top grading to interview people properly to even see if they have the right skills. So they end up with people, not necessarily A-players. When you put a team of A-level players in place, and show them the vision, a clear three- or four-page written description of the company, they will, A, figure out how to make that happen because they've done it before, and, B, they'll be so completely inspired, they'll go through brick walls to make it happen for you. So, Cameron, can I assume, then, that when it comes to the process of selecting employees, you're a big fan of the top grading system? Yeah, top grading for me is the second step of the process. So, Step one is I use a process called the group interview. We learned this from a company in Montreal, a company called Mad Science. And the, con the concept is you take eight people and bring them into the room at the same time. 
you have one candidate from your company, one person from your company interviewing eight candidates, and you grill them over 90 minutes just around general stuff to see who the strongest culture people are and the strongest leadership people are in the group. Culture tied to what your company culture is. So, you know, what do you do for fun? What are the biggest problems you've solved, most stressful times in your life? You're really looking for who the leaders are and who the strongest culture people are. Once you know maybe the top one or two people out of those eight, you might do three rounds of group interviews. You're going to bring those people in for the one-on-one interviews and go through the top grading process of the SIDS interview and the rigorous top, um, you know, interview um, reference checks. But yes, very big fan of top grading by Brad and Jeff Smart. So at what point in your career building these companies did that light bulb go off for you that you just described about getting the right people in the right seats doing the right things? 1989. I was working with a group called College Pro Painters. Um, I was running a franchise for College Pro. Actually, by 89, I was now working at the head office. College Pro, I don't know if your listeners would know, but it's the world's largest residential painting company. They go from 60 head office employees, then they get 800 franchisees and 8,000 employees every year. They do $60 million in revenue, and they go back to 60 people and reload. So every year they have to hire 8,800 people and train them all and, and do a $60 million business and then start again. So that's where I really learned about interviewing, recruiting, selection, and, and the whole idea of selecting the right behavioral people. So as an example, at College Pro, when we were looking for franchisees, the top seven traits that we would look for, leadership, attainment, tenacity, introspection, interdependence, fundamental ability, and instrumental ability. Everyone at the head office knew those seven. Everyone could define those seven at the exact same definition. And everyone had five questions that we would ask in interviews to be able to rate people on those five behavioral traits. So not even looking at skill set yet, we knew exactly what we were looking for behaviorally when people were still out in the parking lot. We knew from a mile away what they would look like, and we would be able to find the right culture people. Once we had the small group of culture people, then we would put the systems to find out if they had the skills to do the job. And like my mentor back then used to say, to build a slightly or a great business, it has to be slightly more than a business, slightly less than a religion. It kind of has to be in that zone of cult. And if you think about the word culture, the first four letters are cult. So you're looking for cultural fit and the skill set. You know, that old adage of hire for attitude, train for skills, it's not true. That might have been true if you want to grow 7% a year. But if you want to grow by you know, doubling your company, which is only 26% growth three years in a row, you need to hire for attitude and skills and never compromise. By the way, A-level players are never out looking for jobs. You've got to poach them. Your best poaching method is what then? It's two. It's one, using the virtual bench that they talk about in top grading. So you always have a bench of people that you're nurturing and spending time with so that when an opening call comes up, you can call them and say, hey, here's the opening, move over. The second one is I've got two fantastic search firms engaged that most companies would never have even heard of. They're very under the radar. One only does C-level roles where the $300,000 or more salary positions. The other does kind of in the one hundred dollars to $200,000 range. But you get very, very strong search firms that can go out and actually, you know, recruit and poach those players. And once you get them to come into a company that has a great culture, you've got them. You don't have to pay more. You just have to give them a great environment and align them, and A players will be thrilled to come and work. Your criteria for a great search firm is what, then? Very entrepreneurial, one that will not throw me dead wood, one that will spend time to really, truly understand the scorecard for the role, not just the job description. You know, top grading talks about scorecard being what are the five or six key things the person needs to get done over the next two years? 
And then if they get those six things done, would you have been thrilled at your decision to hire them today? So make the list of the five or six things. So I make sure the search firm knows how to find someone who's done those things. Don't send me someone who knows the theory or someone who has a similar title or someone who's worked in a similar industry. I want someone who fits my culture and who has done what I need them to do. Cameron, we've talked about two critical things, having a vision and getting the right people. But how truly important are those two things in terms of a company being successful? Because you look at the landscape of all the companies out there, there's a lot of successful companies, but they appear to be successful in spite of not getting those two things right. Yeah, a lot of companies either seem to be successful from the outside until you actually lift off the covers and inspect what you expect, or companies can kind of hit a trend. What I'm talking about is how to take you know, any company in any industry, in any market, in any economy, and actually knock the cover off the ball. Now, you think about this whole global financial crisis. I, I talked to a restaurant owner in Vancouver about three years ago. Oh, I'm not doing well, and my restaurant's in trouble, and this whole global financial... I'm like, are you freaking kidding? A global financial crisis? You have a 120-seat restaurant. Stop reading the newspaper, get off your butt, and go make something happen. I think a lot of companies are just average. So, yeah, we might read in the paper or in the, in the media about, you know, that one company that's doing extraordinarily successful. Well, probably half of them really aren't once you actually dig under the under the kind of hood. And then maybe the other 99.9, boy, half of them could be, but they just are kind of executing the wrong way. Now, business really is pretty simple. You know, that whole God and grandmother rule. But people just miss out on it. You know, they're trying to work harder or they're trying to spend more on advertising when they don't have an aligned team and they have the wrong people on the bus. If you don't start with those two things, it's like building a house on a really crummy foundation and putting bad electrical in. What's the point? Okay, Cameron, well, you're going to have to share with us the old God-grandmother rule because I don't think everybody is familiar with that. What is it? Yeah, so again, when I was very young, my grandmother pulled me aside and she said, just do everything as if I was watching you or you had to tell God what you'd just done. And if you, if you kind of approach everything that way, you're going to make all the right decisions. You don't need contracts to do stuff if you're ethical and you're honest and you're working hard. Um, so if you do everything that it's kind of fully transparent, like 60 Minutes was going to come in and watch you, everything's great. So you'll attract all those right people. And then the other part of it is business is just really simple. You know, all, the, all those little adages that we've heard over the years are really true. You know, we overcomplicate it. We think we need fancy spreadsheets or tables or you know, fancy marketing techniques. The reality is we need a good product, we need to get good people, we need to show them where we're going, and we need to help them do their jobs. It seems to be so difficult to execute on something that appears to be so simple. Why is that? I think it's because we don't have the vision or we haven't taken it out of our heads and shared it. So imagine a homeowner who gets the best construction company and says, here's a million dollars, build me a home, I'll see you in six months. They build you something, but if you don't show them the pictures and the drawings of what you want them to build, it's not going to look anything like what you want. So then you've got to keep coming back every week and, and reorganizing them and holding them accountable. Instead, what you need to do is show them the vision clearly, articulate it in a way that they understand it. The second part of it is if you've got a great vision but you don't have the right people, you know, you could have the best blueprints and best drawings and best you know, schematics for your home, but if you have a bunch of crummy contractors, they're going to they're screw it up. So people don't spend the time at getting the right people into their company. And then what they try to do is hold the right, the wrong people accountable, try to manage people, try to keep them coming in on time, try to, you know, market lots. 
but they're just working harder instead of stepping back and saying, wait, nobody knows where we're going. Nobody has a plan on how to get there, and we've got the wrong bodies. It's just a lot more work when you've got the wrong people. Who Thanks for listening in on the conversation. Our guest is Cameron Harold, author of Double Double, How to Double Your Revenue and Profit in Less Than Three Years. Podcasts of this show, as well as our previous shows, are available on the website at biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com. We continue our interview with Cameron Harold. One chapter in your book that I really liked was a chapter called Letters to Myself. And we won't dive too deep into that. But for our listeners, what do you remember about one of those letters you wrote to yourself that you'd like to pass along? I think the overarching one, so what happened with that was that when I left 1-800-GOT-JUNK as chief operating officer after six and a half years, I decided to take three months off and just reflect and spend time and hang out. So I wrote every day and just came up with, at the end, about 66 or 68 different letters to my 16-year-old self. The lessons that I wish I knew now, you know, or wish I knew then, you know, what would I have loved to have known at 16? Because we never listened to anybody else, but when we're, when we're older, all of a sudden we go, wow, I actually learned this. So the, the big one I learned is a lesson about Gorbachev and Reagan called Rule Number 6. And you think about Reagan and Gorbachev, you know, 30 years ago, they were having their summit meetings. They were sitting, talking all day, working out the world's problems. And they were listening to each other over a headset. And every couple hours, someone would run into the meeting screaming and yelling, and Gorbachev would smile and would calmly say, remember Rule Number 6. The person would laugh and say, you're right. He would walk out of the room. And Reagan was listening to all this over a headset. At the end of the meeting, Reagan turned to Gorbachev and he said, you know, we've solved all the world's problems, but I need to know what's rule number six. And Gorbachev laughed and smiled and said, ah, rule number six. Rule number six is don't take yourself so seriously. And Reagan said, well, what's the first five rules? Gorbachev said there aren't any. (laughs) I think we need to remember that in business. That At the end of the day... This isn't what we do. This is just what we're doing to, to, to give us money to have our lives. That business is supposed to be fun. That if we have the right people and we align them, we can have a great time at work. It doesn't have to be hard. The only reason it's hard is because we've got the wrong people showing up who aren't aligned, and it creates problems for us. Cameron, you're working with a new client today, a CEO of a company. What's the one piece of advice you are giving them? Well, I'm actually working with one right now that I only started working with last month. He's the CEO of a company called Gong Show Gear. They make really cool hockey clothing. And um, I'm talking to him right now about, about balance, and he's really stuck in that doing everything himself mode. And we're starting to take a lot of the parts of the company that they don't need to be experts in, and they can outsource those to companies that are fantastic so he can focus on the stuff he's genius at. This guy is brilliant at picking out amazing products, finding really quick suppliers, cranking them out online and making $200,000 in cash. You know, in his second or third year in business, he's making obscene amounts of money. He's got a fanatical, amazing client base. Why is he worried about running a, a warehouse and fulfillment and, and finance when he can outsource that to people who love it and he can focus on the stuff he's genius at? So it's about building these unique ability teams who focus on the critical few things versus the important many. That's what I'm focusing with my, on my newest client right now. Cameron, the one mistake you think presidents and CEOs are making today is what? First off, I think a lot of them are reading the wrong books. You know, they're reading books hoping for the answers, and the books just give us more theory. Entrepreneurs and CEOs are not looking for more theory. We're looking for very practical take-home tips to solve a problem or an opportunity that's in place right now. That's what I tried to do with Double Double. That's what I've tried to do with my DVDs is give people 
So very easy to implement systems to grow their company without without needing a bunch of MBAs in there to do it for you. Cameron, you work with presidents and CEOs of companies. The biggest challenge facing them today is what? Time. It's um, their perception that they don't have enough time. And the reality is that most of them are running terrible meetings, and I cover that in depth in my book of how to actually run very effective, high-impact meetings. The second one, most of them get sucked into the minutia of email and, and stuff they don't need to worry about instead of showing up in the morning and figuring out what are the top five things I need to get done today and working on those five things and, and at some point looking at their email. People are just busy being busy instead of actually working on the highest impact things. And I'm getting on a flight in 20 minutes, and I already have a list of the top five things I need to do on the plane. And I assure you, all the other CEOs I'll be sitting with in business class, half of them will be reading email and half of them will be you know, playing some stupid computer game, and they'll get off the plane and think they're still busy. I'll actually get my work done, and I'll deal with email later. Cameron, if our listeners would like to learn more about you and what you do, where would they go to get that information? Um, easy step would be my website, doubledoublethebook.com. So doubledoublethebook.com, and it has all the information about me and what I've done. They can just start there. Cameron, thanks for being on the program. Jim, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Had fun. This or other BizTalk podcasts may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.